Amen. Well, it has, it has been a tough week for news in our country. Um, it started uh, for many on Sunday night when a report was released about uh, major scandals in our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, related to the cover-up and mishandling of abuse across various churches and uh, the executive committee of our denomination. And that was followed, of course, by what happened in Texas on Tuesday and just the unspeakable horrors of what that community is dealing with. And on the aftermath of that sort of news this week, I think it's understandable that many of us would find ourselves feeling somewhat anxious. What if something like that were to happen in my church? What if something like that were to happen in my community, my school? I think that only those who completely bury their heads in the sand and are completely detached from what's going on in the world around us can honestly say that we don't sometimes wonder those things. And we don't, we don't sometimes fear those things. It is a kind and gracious providence of God that leads us on the heels of a week like last week to be in a text like this text. If you're not already there, go in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. As you remember, Jesus is teaching his disciples about how to live in this world as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Those who belong to Christ kind of have a sort of dual citizenship. We belong to heaven, and yet we live here. And in between those two kingdoms, living in this life as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is going to be a life filled with trouble. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. And trouble, of course, leads to anxiety. And here in our text this morning, I want you to see how fervently, how ferociously Jesus cares for anxious people. If you take anything away from this text this morning and this sermon, I hope it's that, that Jesus cares for you in the midst of your anxiety. Jesus desires for you, follower of Christ, he desires for you to understand how to rightly deal with anxiety. There is a, a wrong way and a right way 
to handle anxiety. And Jesus, because he cares for you in your anxiety, would have you to respond rightly. And so I want to read our passage again this morning. And then I want to show you, with God's help, two simple, not easy, but simple steps to receiving the care that Jesus has for anxious hearts. Look at the text again with me. These beautiful words from our beautiful Savior. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are not you of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Solomon, even Solomon, in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Two simple but not easy steps to receiving God's amazing care for anxious people. Number one, you must, dear brother, sister, friend, Admit your struggle with sinful anxiety. Admit your struggle with sinful anxiety. About 20 years ago, I was visiting a doctor about my vocal cords. Turns out that at the time, I had nodules on my vocal cords that were keeping me from being able to do simple things like deliver a speech in my speech class my freshman and sophomore year in college. And so I visited the doctor, and uh, the doctor sat down, scoped my throat, all the sort of things that I've been going through recently. And one of the things that the doctor told me back then was that I was using my voice wrongly. I was trying to talk too deep and sound too masculine or something like that. And what you need to do is get into voice therapy and learn how to use your voice properly. And once you do that, you shouldn't have issues like you're having. And of course, I said, that's ridiculous. 
I'm 18 years old. I know how to talk, and I'll figure it out on my own. And so here we are 20 years later, going through the same sorts of things. It wasn't until I admitted that there was a problem that I was willing to get the help that, by God's grace, I'm receiving now. I think in this room there are two types of Christians that, that won't receive the great physician's help in their anxiety until they admit that they struggle with sinful anxiety. One group, some of you, you don't think you struggle with anxiety at all. That's group number one. You don't think you're anxious ever. Now, you might say, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. Now, by the way, concern is a synonym for worry, but we'll get to that later, I suppose. Some of you might say, I'm not anxious. I'm just a little bothered. I just trust the Lord in these things. Dear friend, dear brother, sister, the longer it takes you to admit your struggle with sinful anxiety, the longer it will take you to receive help from the great physician. You will not go to Jesus for help with your anxiety if you don't think you need any help with your anxiety. I am convinced that, that sinful anxiety is not something that some sinners struggle with. I'm convinced that this is something that all sinners struggle with. Now, some of us may struggle more intensely than others, but every sinner living in a fallen world is sometimes sinfully anxious, including you, dear brother, sister, friend. I believe that that's implied in Jesus' teaching here. Look with me at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That word, therefore, should invite us to go back and to look at what has come before. What did Jesus just say? And if you were with us last week, Eli talked to us about two ways to live. You can live for a kingdom treasure that lasts forever, or you can live for earthly treasure that doesn't last. You can look to Jesus and you can see the light, or you can look to your earthly pile and be filled with darkness. You can serve your pile of stuff or... You can use your pile of stuff to serve Jesus. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, you may not be doing this perfectly, but you are, to some extent, striving, trying, laboring to live for the kingdom of God. Now, you would think that people that aren't living for this world wouldn't struggle to be anxious. If you really, really know that your treasure is in heaven and it's not here, then you don't really need to be anxious about what happens here. If you're not living for things that are lost in this world, then you don't need to be anxious about it. 
But Jesus, immediately on the heels of that teaching about treasures in heaven, he says to the people who presumably are living for treasures in heaven, he says, therefore, because of this, because you're doing this, don't be anxious. Do you see the significance of what Jesus is doing? Anxiety is not just a problem for unbelievers. It's a problem for Christians too. If you think following Jesus means the elimination of anxiety, you are completely wrong. If anything, some of you might be able to testify, you didn't start feeling anxious until you became a Christian. If anything, the Christian has more of a temptation towards anxiety because we're trusting, or we aren't trusting in our pile, we're trusting our pile, all the stuff that we have in the hands of someone we cannot see. Now, before we go any further, let's agree on what we mean by anxiety. I don't want anyone in the room to think that this passage isn't relevant to you because you don't struggle like somebody else struggles with anxiety. So what is anxiety? There are countless definitions we could offer. Let me offer one that I think captures what the Bible says about anxiety. Anxiety is an emotional preoccupation with an uncertain situation. Anxiety is an emotional preoccupation with an uncertain situation. We could probably say more than that, but that's sufficient. You're emotionally preoccupied with something that you're uncertain about. Jesus hints at that in verse 25. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, your body, what you will put on, etc. Jesus' followers were often confronted with uncertain situations, like what are we going to eat? Now, if you're staying with us for our lunch after the service, and I hope you will, we know what we're going to eat. Although perhaps you might look at what's in one of the bowls or Tupperwares and you say, well, what is that? I don't really know what that is. And that might lead to anxiety, right? It's an uncertain situation. You don't know what's going to happen. So brother, sister, friend, let me plead with you. Don't ask yourself, am I anxious? Ask yourself, what makes me anxious? When am I anxious? And how do I handle my anxiety? You might be asking yourself, or you might be examining yourself and realize that you're anxious about your health. Will the cancer return? Will I have a heart attack? What if the doctor can't treat me? What if the medicine doesn't work? What if the surgery isn't successful? Maybe you're anxious about your safety. What if I die in a car crash? What if a gunman opens fire at my grocery store? What if someone breaks into my home? What if Christians are physically persecuted in my country? Or maybe you're anxious about your relationships. Will I ever find my soulmate? Will she still love me if I tell her the truth? 
Will God give me children? Will my children be okay? What if I lose somebody that I love? Can I trust this person enough to keep me accountable? Will he stop being my friend if I tell him about Jesus? Maybe you're anxious about your finances. What if inflation gets worse? What if my retirement isn't enough? What if my husband dies and I can't provide for my kids? What if the insurance company doesn't cover the procedure and I'm stuck with a bill? Maybe you're anxious about your career. What if I don't get that promotion? What if I don't get along with my new supervisor? What if I get fired? What if I get laid off? What if I can't find a new job? Maybe you're anxious about your comfort. Maybe you're anxious about your church. Who's going to be in my fellowship group? What if I can't connect with anybody? What if following Jesus means doing something hard? Maybe you're anxious about what people think about you. What am I going to say when I feel awkward in this conversation? Will the elders believe me if I open up about the the abuse that I've encountered? Maybe you're anxious about a place. What if we don't like the place where the Air Force is sending us? What if we have to leave our church? Maybe you're even anxious about heaven. What if it's boring? What if it's scary? What if I'm not there? Ed Welch, in his book, Running Scared, writes this, rather than minimize your fears, find more of them. Expose them to the light of day because the more you find, the more blessed you will be when you hear words of comfort. So let me ask you again, Christian, what makes you anxious? Maybe you think, this sermon, don't worry, we only have 40 more minutes to go. Some of you in this room may be more anxious than others. Some of you may go through seasons of intense anxiety. Some of you may be going through intense anxiety right now. Maybe that's your day-to-day life. But all of us are anxious about something. Part of examining your heart, Christian, is to ask yourself, what is it that causes me to feel anxious? If you came into this room thinking anxiety is not a struggle for me, I hope you'll confess to the Lord and admit your struggle. I may not struggle with anxiety like this person or that person, but my heart is often anxious. There's another group of Christians in this room that needs to admit their struggle. The first is those that don't think they're anxious at all. The second group is some of you know you struggle with anxiety, but you don't think it's ever sinful. You know you struggle with anxiety. You admit that, but you've got a prescription and a diagnosis code. Today we often talk about Anxiety is a mental illness. 
The ADAA says that anxiety disorders are the most common mental illness in the U.S., affecting 40 million adults in the United States ages 18 and older. That's 18.1% of the population that are diagnosed with some sort of anxiety disorder. Our problem is when we begin to think this is a mental illness, this is not sin. It's not sinful anxiety. I struggle with anxiety, but not sinful anxiety. Now, it is true that the Bible doesn't always present anxiety as sinful. The Bible doesn't always present anxiety as sinful. I'll show you some examples in a moment. Anxiety is always the result of sin. If Adam and Eve never sinned against God, there would be no anxiety. There wouldn't be. In heaven, there will be no anxiety. Whether you believe your anxiety is rooted in a failure to trust God or a chemical imbalance, it's still the result of sin. We live in a world of sin and suffering. Anxiety is a form of suffering. Sometimes it's a type of sin. Anxiety often leads to sin. Anxiety over finances can lead to hoarding and greed, can it? Anxiety over health can lead to an aversion to Christ-honoring risk. Anxiety over self-image can lead to lying and deceit. So anxiety can lead to sin. It is a result of sin. But anxiety by itself is not always sin. Let me show you some examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You can jot these verses down. They'll be on the screen behind me. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 and 33. Paul, advocating singleness for those he's writing to in Corinth, says this. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And Paul is not saying, husbands that it's wrong for you to be anxious about how to please your wife. He wants you to live with your wife in a way that would please her. Or there's 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. God has so composed the body. This is referring to, uh, he's talking about the body of the church, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care That's the same word, anxiety, for one another. Christian, you are supposed to have a level of anxiety and care and concern for the well-being of your brothers and sisters in your church family. That is not sin. In fact, if you lack that care for your brothers and sisters, there's a problem. Or there's Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul, writing about Timothy, says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned, the word is anxious, for your welfare. Now, Paul is, is praising Timothy here. Timothy is anxious about you, he says. That's a good thing. Or 2 Corinthians 11, verse 28, Paul says about himself, apart from all these other things that he's experienced, shipwreck, persecution, etc., etc., He says, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. 
in each of these examples, the, the, the anxious person is emotionally preoccupied with an uncertain situation. But there is no indication in any of those examples that the anxious person has sinned. So yes, anxious Christian, it is possible to be anxious and sin not. However, I think you're fooling yourself if you think your anxiety is never sinful. There is such a thing as sinful anxiety. It's a universal human problem. Jesus says three times in our text, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, do not be anxious. Here Jesus is referring to sinful anxiety. Or the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4 the same letter where he praised Timothy for being anxious about their welfare says, do not be anxious about anything. We could say, do not be sinfully anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So here's the million dollar question. How do I know if my anxiety is sinful? I'm anxious a lot. How do I know when it turns into sin? I think perhaps the best example is in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10, you know this story about Mary and Martha. Let me read to you beginning in verse 38. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to Jesus, and she said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Do you see what Martha's doing? She's emotionally preoccupied with being a good host, right? Everything's got to look just so. The food has to be laid out just perfectly. The furniture has to be positioned just right. Everything has to be just so. She goes to Jesus. She notices Mary's not helping. She goes to Jesus and she says, Jesus, tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious, same word, and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Hear me, hear me, Christian. The problem was not that Martha was anxious about being a good host. It's not a bad thing. Not a bad thing. The problem was that she became so consumed by being a good host that she forgot about who? She forgot about Jesus. Her anxiety pulled her away from Jesus, not toward him. Even when she approaches Jesus in her anxious state, she does not go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm anxious. Will you help me? She goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, my house is not right. Will you send Mary over here to help me? Do you see the difference? Anxious Christian. In what ways are you sinful in your anxiety? When 
Does your anxiety drive you to Christ? And when does it drive you to Netflix or to social media or to the bottle or to food or to some other comfort that's smaller than the great physician? That's when your anxiousness is sinful. And every single person in this room struggles with this. Jesus cares for anxious people. And the first step to receiving his care is to admit that you struggle with sinful anxiety. But that's not really enough, is it? Admitting you're struggling with this sin is not enough. I remember in the early days of our marriage, my wife, Holly, would often struggle with anxiety, and she would have the courage to admit it to me. I'm, I'm anxious tonight. That's step one. That's great. And my first response would be, well, stop it. Just don't be anxious anymore. If that's the sort of advice that we give one another in our feelings of anxiety, we will not find ourselves to be very helpful. I want you to notice what Jesus invites us to do. Not in a trite way, not in an overly simplistic sort of way, Jesus says to the anxious hearts in this room, believe the truth about your amazing God. Now, the internet is overflowing with advice on what to do when you're anxious. Go for a walk. Stop and breathe. Listen to calm music. Meditate. Work on a puzzle. Hug a furry friend. Snuggle underneath a weighted blanket. Use essential oils. Take a shower. Drink some tea. Paint a picture. Read a book. Exercise. Clean. Phone a friend. I'd keep going, but I think that's going to make us more anxious. And there might be some practical benefits to all of those things, but Jesus takes a different approach. Jesus encourages you, anxious Christian, to look to God, to look to Him. Now, I want to stop for a moment and say a word to anyone in this room that may not be a follower of Jesus, because Jesus is about to tell us some staggering truths about God, promises from God to his people. If you're in this room and you're not a Christian, hear me. Hear me, please. None of these promises are true for you. None of them are true for you yet. All of them can gloriously be true for you today. All of them. Not by cleaning yourself up. Not when you get rid of your anxiety. When you turn from your sin and trust Jesus. In that instant, you may be the worst Christian in this room. It does not matter. Every single one of these promises are immediately and forever true for you. I was talking to Holly about that this week. How amazing Christianity is. 
It's so incredible. The gospel is such glorious news. The moment you turn from your sin and trust in Christ, all of God's promises are yours. I'm not supposed to yell, but I can't help it. Listen to me. That is incredibly, forever, finally, unchangeably true. Nothing can change that. So if you're not a Christian, what you must do today, what we plead with you to do today is trust Christ. Trust him. If you want to talk to one of our pastors more about that, head to the white flag after the service. We'd love to talk with you. Go in a separate room and pray with you if you like that. But listen to me. Every single one of these promises is fully and forever yours the moment you trust him which means every Christian in this room, all of them are forever and fully yours now. Now, if you, if you, if you struggle regularly with anxiety, let me tell you something about yourself you may not have realized yet. If you struggle regularly with anxiety, you might be a faithful Bible reader and you believe all the things you read in your Bible about God's judgment. You be, oh, you have no problem believing all those things. What's hard for you is to believe that his promises are true for you. That's what's hard for you. And the whole time, even as you read those great and glorious promises, you might find yourself questioning, well, is that really true for me? Do I really belong to him? The great Puritan Richard Baxter and, and many of his works that were written to those who were anxious, he would say to you, anxious Christian, stop thinking about your thoughts and think about Jesus. So I'll say the same thing to you. So what does Jesus invite you to believe about God? Six anxiety-destroying truths in this text. Number one, believe that God cares about the big picture. Believe that God cares about the big picture. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? This is a, a logical argument from the, the greater to the lesser. Here's how it works. Jesus says, your existence is more than what you put in your mouth and what you put on your body to clothe, your, clothe yourself. Who is the one that is keeping you alive this moment? Who's keeping your heart beating right now? Who is it? God. If God is able to sustain your very existence, your life, if you are only alive this moment because God is giving your heart rhythm, then can't you trust him with all the smaller things? Like food, clothing, drink, health. When we worry, we're underestimating the power of God. If God can take care of the big things, like keeping your heart beating, like giving you existence, then you can trust him with everything smaller than that. God cares about the big picture. Number two, believe that God cares about the tiny details. Look at verse 26. 
Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Here the argument is exactly the opposite. Here Jesus argues from the lesser to the greater. Now, yesterday we were watching a blue jay in our yard going around and and, uh, pecking for worms and trying to get things to feed. And birds work for their food. Jesus is not saying that birds just kind of wait there and God throws food into their mouths. What he's saying is they don't have like a pantry somewhere, right? They don't have a refrigerator. They don't have a, a barn where they store all their extra worms. So they are relying upon the Father to feed them moment by moment by moment. And Jesus says, God cares about birds. Birds. Countless birds on our planet. And God cares about every single one of them. Jesus will later say that not a sparrow will fall to the ground unless our Father in heaven permits it, allows it, ordains it. Jesus says, if God cares about them, don't you think he cares for you? You're more valuable than they are. Martin Luther said, whenever you listen to a nightingale, You are listening to an excellent preacher. When the birds sing, they're preaching to you that God exists and he cares about them. Therefore, he must care for you. Number three, believe that God can do what you can't. Believe that God can do what you can't. Look at verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? The answer is none of us. How often have you added time to your life by worrying about something? Usually has the opposite effect, doesn't it? John MacArthur writes this. He says, you can worry yourself to death, but not to life. Then he quotes Dr. Charles Mayo, one of the founders of the Mayo Clinic, who once said, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I have never met a man or known a man to die of overwork, but I have known a lot who died of worry. Jesus is saying, you don't add to your life by your worry, you subtract from your life by your anxiety. Your worry cannot actually accomplish anything. Better yet, as one writer says, worry accomplishes nothing except to get God out of the picture. You cannot add by your worry. But look at what God can do. Look at verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Same word. You can't add anything to your life by anxiety, but God can add everything. 
C.S. Lewis wrote, he who has God and everything else has no more than he who has God only. Do you believe that God can do what you can't? Number four, believe that God does things better than you can. Believe that God does things better than you can. Verse 28 to 30, Jesus talks about the lilies of the field. They, they grow without toiling or spinning. And yet I tell you, he, he says, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Do you remember King Solomon? He was perhaps the wealthiest man in history. Certainly among sinners, he was the wisest. And yet Jesus says on Solomon's Best dressed day. He wasn't dressed to the same level of glory as a single lily. In God clothes billions upon billions of flowers every spring all over the world, and none of them lift a finger to clothe themselves. How many of you have seen a flower with a sewing machine? So you don't, you don't see that. Why? Because their father takes care of them. And Jesus is inviting you to trust, dear Christian, that your father in heaven can meet your needs better than you can anyways. He's, he's inviting you to trust that on your best day, if you had the power to fix everything you worried about, you couldn't do it as well as God could do it. Trust him. Trust him. Number five, believe God knows what you need better than you do. Again, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says, Don't be anxious about food or drink or clothing, for the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Literally, Jesus is saying the nations seek after these things. His point isn't about ethnicity or, or where you're from. His point is about belief. The nations were, were pagan. They didn't believe in God. And, and Jesus says, don't be like them. Remember who you are. Remember who your heavenly Father is. Remember who you belong to. Can I just encourage you, Christian? Even when you forget your father, he does not forget you. Martha forgot what was most important, didn't she? In her emotional preoccupation with hosting well, Martha forgot what mattered most, but Jesus didn't forget Martha. And even in your worry, Christian, the Father will not forget you. He knows what you need. Now, it's not encouraging if God merely knows what you need unless he also does something about it, right? I mean, how encouraging is it to have a father who knows you're hungry but doesn't feed you? Have a father who knows you're thirsty but doesn't give you something to drink. Go, 
to Matthew chapter 7, and look at what Jesus says beginning in verse 9. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do you believe that your Father knows what you need? I wonder if you read that text and you think, well, I asked God. I asked God for a fish, and it sure feels like he gave me a serpent. I asked him for bread. It sure feels like he gave me a stone. Remember that God knows what you need better than you do. Also remember that God meets our needs through means. So we work, we save, we give to others, and those are some of the ways that God meets our needs. And remember, too, that God doesn't promise a life free from trouble. Jesus again said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Finally, number six, believe God gives what you need when you need it, not before. This one is perhaps the hardest one to believe. You see, we like to have pantries and refrigerators. We like to have things saved up for later. I'm one of these people that like to plan ahead, so, you know, once I have my morning cup of coffee, I'll go ahead and fill the pot up with water again so that way it's ready just in case I'm, I need to brew another cup. Many of you are like that. You, you, you can trust that you have what you need in the moment, but what about tomorrow? What about the next day? What about the day after that? What you're thinking about is, is how am I going to make sure that I'm going to be okay for the things to come? Jesus invites us to believe a sometimes painful truth to believe about God, that he gives you what you need when you need it, not before. Verse 34, he says, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 19th century English Baptist pastor named Alexander McLaren once asked, what does your anxiety do? It does not empty tomorrow, brother, of its sorrows, but ah, it empties today of its strength. It does not make you escape the evil. It makes you unfit to cope with it when it comes. It does not bless tomorrow and it robs the day, for every day has its own burden. We have always strength to bear the evil when it comes. We have not the strength to bear the foreboding of it. Or as the great theologian Charlie Brown once said, I have a new philosophy. I only dread one day at a time. God will give you what you need when you need it and not before. And Jesus invites you to trust that. And brother, sister, I would suggest to you that there's no better example 
of Jesus' care for his anxious people than the cross. At the cross, we see how much God cares about the big picture, don't we? See what he's doing there as Christ bleeds on that hill? This is the big picture. This is the point of the universe. This is the whole theme of the whole redemptive story of Scripture. God sent his son to be our substitute. If we can trust him to care about that big picture, can we trust him to care about the big pictures of our day-to-day lives? The cross, we see how much God cares about the tiny details too, don't we? Think about how often on the cross Jesus says things or does things simply to fulfill this or that tiny, somewhat obscure messianic prophecy. Like saying from the cross, I thirst. Why? Because he cares about the little details. If you can trust him to care about those little details, can't you trust him to care for the little detail that's consuming your mind today? The cross, we see that Jesus can do what we cannot do. None of us can save ourselves. At the cross, we see how God does things better than we ever could. Who could have imagined a salvation like this? It is so glorious, it cannot but be true. At the cross, we see that God knows what we need better than we do. The disciples surely wanted a different kind of Messiah and a different kind of king. But God gave them the Messiah, the Savior that they needed, not the one that they wanted. And at the cross, God see, we see how God gives us what we need when we need it, not before. And in the fullness of time, the scripture says, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Dear Christian, I know in the throes of your anxiety, simply saying, believe in God, may seem as helpful as someone saying, stop being anxious. I know this is a hard, hard struggle. But what Jesus would invite us to do is look not to our circumstances Look not to our plans, but to look to our Father. And dear Christian, let me encourage you, the day is coming when you will never be anxious again. The final pages of C.S. Lewis's Narnia series in a book called The Last Battle, we watch the main characters enter into a new world where they will live with Aslan forever. And Lucy asks, isn't it wonderful? Have you noticed? One can't feel afraid even if one wants to. That's a tiny glimpse of what heaven is like. You won't even be able to feel anxious even if you wanted to. The day is coming, Christian, when Christ will return. And we will never, ever be anxious again. Would you pray with me?